as we continue our study through the book of Genesis. It's been a privilege to get through these, these chapters in Genesis and to see how God was there with his people, the Israelites, in the beginning. How he used Jacob, a man who struggled much with his own selfish desires and broke him and then continued to change this man. And then from there we saw as Jacob began to have his family, his 12 sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel, how God still was working in the hearts of these men, how God was using them and preparing them to be the forefathers and the patriarchs of what we have today, the Israelites. And with this, we've been looking closely at a son in particular of Jacob, and that was Joseph. And the book of Genesis then began to really dive into Joseph's life story and focus on him. If we want to do a, a quick recap, if you remember, Joseph was favored by his father. Jacob was so in love with this son from his favorite wife, Rachel, that he showed favoritism towards Joseph and later on even towards the second son from Rachel, that would be Benjamin. Those were the only two sons that he had from Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. And then Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. And if you recall, Joseph found so much favor that his brothers ended up becoming envious of him. To the point where they began to plot against their own brother to kill him. And they saw their brother as they were supposed to be working for their dad and their dad sent Joseph to go give them some food and check on his older brothers. And as they saw Joseph coming, they said, look it, here's this dreamer. He has these dreams that one day we will bow to him. Let's, let's take him and kill him. And they began to plot to take him in to feed him to, to some wild wolves. But the oldest brother, Reuben, said, hey, let's, let's not kill him. He had some conviction in his heart. Let's throw him into this pit and leave him there. And then another brother, Judah, saw the Ishmaelites coming and perhaps in order to save his brother said, hey, you know what? let's make some profit off of him and, and sell him to the Ishmaelites so that we could gain some, some profit. And so the rest of the brothers conceded and said, all right, let's sell Joseph. And they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites, also the Midianites. And Joseph became a slave. They lied to their father and said, Joseph was eaten by some ravenous wolves, some beast, and they brought back this coat of many colors and they dip, had dipped it in blood and said this blood was from Joseph, but it wasn't. And their father wept and mourned and 
the loss of his beloved son. And this would begin to bring a, a guilty conscience on all of the brothers. But it was too late now. Joseph was a slave in Egypt. And if you remember, he was sold to a man named Potiphar. And this is where we pick up in the account in Genesis chapter 39. Let's begin with verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. Now, keep in mind, Egypt at this time was the center of commercial adventure. The, what was happening in Egypt was at the cutting edge of technology. And we also see that Egypt symbolically is a picture of the world, the flesh and the sinful world. And Potiphar here was this officer of the guy who was in charge of Egypt. Potiphar, in certain translations of the Bible, is noted to be captain of the guard, which is also seen as a eunuch. Now, it's unlikely that he was the type of eunuch that was literally castrated, but he was set under Pharaoh for a specific task. Usually this title would give him the authority and the duty to look over supervising the guards of Pharaoh, especially those related to execution. And he was a wealthy man. He can afford to buy a slave such as Joseph, who was a young and fit man. Now Potiphar, his name, it literally means belonging to the sun. His Hebrew is actually a shortened version of the Egyptian name Potiphera, which means he whom Ra, the sun god, gave. So Potiphar was a man who is much well-versed in the Egyptian gods and goddesses. And he was a man who was in the Egyptian system. It says in verse 2, after the Ishmaelites had taken him down there, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. If you have a, a pen in your Bible, underline the key phrase, the Lord was with Joseph in verse 2. We're going to see this phrase come up three times in just this chapter alone. And it is a common theme in Joseph's life that wherever he went, the Lord was with him. And he was a successful man, it says. We see that God lives with his people in every season, in every trial, in every blessing, in persecution, in glory, God lives inside of the worshipers of him. The Holy Spirit comes and makes his dwelling place 
the worshiper. And yet God allowed for Joseph to be sold into slavery. He allowed for him to be placed in Potiphar's household. Yet we know God was with him. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and si- through 6, it says, For God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Such a powerful verse. When we understand God's attributes, that he's omnipresent. And for those who are called, for those who love him, he never leaves them and he works all things together for good. I'm reminded of my life verse when I think of going through seasons of trial and pain. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation, it produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You see, God is using trials in our life to shape us, to mold us like that clay image. Sometimes the trials break us down and then he could shape us and form us into what he is intending to. If you find yourself in a trial this evening, may I remind you of what James, the early church father said in the book of James. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy? How can you say that, James? Continuing in those verses in James, he says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. See, trials build us up. They mold us and shape us into that calling that God has for us. And though we don't need to be necessarily happy in the trial, we can have joy, contentment, and peace. You see, happiness is dependent on whether things are good or bad in our life. But you see, we can have joy even when things are bad in our life. When we're not happy, there can still be joy knowing that God is in control. He has a plan. Joseph was going to have to learn these lessons as he was now a slave under Potiphar. As we continue on in verse 3 of Genesis, it says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. 
Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So look at Joseph now excelling where God allowed him to go, even in a a place of trial, in a place of imprisonment, of slavery. Joseph there excelled. And Potiphar, his master, began to trust him. And I'm sure this trust was built over time where he began to see that God was with him. You see, people notice when God is with someone. Sometimes they don't know it's that it's God, but they notice when someone is different, when someone has this joy. And a lot of times God will just bless a workplace or bless a, a school or something because there's a, a believer there and God is blessing because that person is there and people begin to notice. I think of of Jacob. Remember we read about how when he was in his uncle's household, Laban, how everything Jacob would begin to work on would just grow and grow exponentially and, and Laban began to notice that as Jacob would work with the livestock, that the livestock would multiply greatly. And Laban was becoming a wealthy man because of Jacob's work. And Laban knew that the Lord was with Jacob. In the same sense, Potiphar knows that God is with Joseph. And this is different than the gods he's used to, than the idols which really had no power. Perhaps powers of darkness, but none that could be compared to the power of light that is God. Again in verse 6, it says, Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate, meaning he let Joseph take care of everything, so much so that once the food was served in front of him, that's all he knew that was taken care of in front of him. And he trusted Joseph to take care of everything else. In verse 7, or at the end of verse 6, I'm sorry. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Uh Uh-oh, that's kind of an interesting turn now in the account to mention Joseph's physical appearance. He was handsome. He was young. We're about to take a turn now, and as things are looking good for Joseph, suddenly... The account leads uh, Joseph into a place of temptation. Look at verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Now, let's look at this account. We have Joseph, a young man forced into slavery, strong, working as a 
as a servant to Potiphar, good-looking, and at the point in a man's life, perhaps when a wife would be great in his life, but yet here he is working as a slave. And as he's there in this household, things are finally looking good as he's in this not-so-great situation. But Satan allows and uses this woman, Potiphar's wife, to come to him to cast last longing eyes on Joseph. She lusts after him and tempt him to sleep with her. She says, lie with me. What I see is that temptation exists in everyone's life. We know this to be true. Even Hebrews teaches us in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, that even Jesus faced temptation. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You remember Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And for 40 days he fasted. And then Satan came to him and tempted him to disobey God. And do you remember what that first temptation was? He went after his flesh. He said, Jesus, since you're the son of God, why don't you just make these stones out here in the desert become bread? Just feed yourself. But God had called Jesus by the Holy Spirit into fasting. So Jesus could not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God. And what did Jesus use to fight the temptation? Scripture. He began to quote scripture to the devil. And the devil tried to use his own scriptures and twist them and quote them back to him, but then constantly Jesus would come back. I will not bow down to you. I need to fear my father. So Jesus himself, tempted in his flesh, we're going to face temptation. Understand this, the temptation itself, it's not sin. Sin in the Hebrew, the Greek, the literal translations for those, it's simply missing the mark. Now, there are those sins that we have which are done out of, uh, there's accidental sins, and then there's other types of sins where we're trying to hit the mark, and we miss it, excuse me. where we have these sins of missing the mark. But there are also sins where we willingly sin. And those are called sins. 
of transgressions. <coughs> We're going to sin no matter what in our life. Understand this. We're going to fail. But we have free will to be able to choose to not sin. We have that free will so that we can choose not to transgress against the Lord. In James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, he says this, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. See? Temptation, its source, where it comes from, it's our own desires, the flesh desires. We can't blame God for tempting us. God does not do evil. There's no evil in him. You see, our mind is that forefront of the battlefield. What we allow our eyes to take in, what we allow our ears to hear, what we allow our spirit to come in contact with. You see, first it starts in the mind, and then as that grows, then suddenly it turns into sinful action. And then our hands, our, our feet, they take us places and to do things that are ungodly. And there are actually levels of sin. Perhaps you've heard it say before that sin is sin. And you know, all sin is the same. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that even if there was only one sin that you ever committed your entire life, then we are guilty of damnation. Thank Jesus for forgiving us of our sins. But Jesus talked about greater sins. You see, there are sins that are actually worse than others and with different punishments. Jesus warned us that the more we know of what is right and what is godly, the more we will be held accountable. He said, to much is given, much will be required. And those who are given much when they come under that condemnation and judgment, they will have many stripes, many beatings. But those who were only given a little bit of info, a little bit of information about what was right and disobeyed, they will have less stripes, less beatings. Remember Jesus said to Pilate that the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. You see, there are levels of sin. In Luke chapter 22, 
verses 39 through 40. Jesus, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not give into temptation. You see, we need to be praying so that we don't fall into temptation. And Jesus was warning us and his disciples, not because he was trying to keep us from something good, but he was trying to prevent us from falling into that place of sin, of a broken relationship between us and him, between us and God. In Jesus' model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 13, it says, in the prayer, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, even in prayer, we are to ask God to deliver us. Because we ourselves will fall, we will fail, but God and the Holy Spirit living in us is the strength which we need to overcome. We look at at Joseph as he is now being tempted with this woman. Perhaps he even might have had the temptation of, hey, like, flattered by someone actually desiring to to be with him. It says in verse 8 of Genesis, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. Now notice this in verse 8, that Joseph recognizes that it would be wrong to commit adultery with her and that he'd be sinning against his master, sinning against mankind. It is interesting to note when you look at the Ten Commandments that the first four commandments are given to us in relationship to God. That we are not to take the Lord's name in vain. That we are not to worship any other gods. To keep the Sabbath day holy. And then the latter six commandments, the Ten Commandments, the latter six of them are sins against one another, our brethren, not to lie, not to steal, not to commit adultery. So Joseph, in his heart, he recognizes this sin would be against Potiphar. But look at what else he recognizes about this act. In verse 9, he says, There is no one greater in this house than I nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, Joseph recognizes that his sin would be foremost against the Lord. Joseph lived with a healthy conviction in his life. He lived with the fear of the Lord. 
The Proverbs teach us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It would put him in a terrible position, not only with God, but with Potiphar in his life. And the, the spiritual fornication, the, the physical fornication that would take place, it would be terrible in his life. I'm reminded of Paul writing to the Corinthians. We've been studying the Corinthians lately and as we've been going through the book of Acts. and how They were there in Greece surrounded by much pagan worship and some of their pagan worship meant having these prostitutes in temples that they would have these sexual acts of spiritual rites in their pagan worship. So Paul wrote to the Corinthians to correct this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 through 18, it says, Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. You see, our temples, our bodies, they contain the Holy Spirit. And when we allow filth into our mind, into our, our body, it, it joins Christ with that. So we need to flee this youthful lust. We need to flee sexual immorality. Fornication is any type of sexual experiences outside of the husband and wife marriage. In verse 10, So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. I'm going to pause right here. Look at this woman. She's crafty. Day by day, she's seducing Joseph, attempting to. And I'm reminded that that's how the enemy, the devil, he works in our life. He's subtle. Sometimes he doesn't come to us with the blatant sin that's in our face. That's the shock factor. Maybe he doesn't offer you right away the the bag of weed or or the terrible uh, drugs or maybe he doesn't throw a prostitute in your way right away. But maybe he starts to compromise you. 
Maybe he just gets you used to lying. Once it's easy for you to lie, then suddenly he'll bring into your life or just just get a little bit of drunkenness in you. Get a little drunk. Nobody's watching. Who, who, who cares? It's, it's not hurting anybody. And then once you compromise in that area, then the drunkenness leads to all sorts of, we could go down that path, and suddenly you see yourself compromising after compromise after compromise. It's this drifting away. Drifting away from the truth, from what is right, what the word of God teaches. Notice how she set Joseph up in a sense that she knew this was a time that all the men were outside of the house. It was just Joseph and Potiphar's wife alone. And I'm reminded, don't put yourself in bad situations. Now, perhaps this wasn't Joseph's fault, but in our own life, there are times when we can avoid setting ourselves up for failure. There are restrictions that we could place on ourselves and convictions that would keep us from entering into sin. So we need to heed that conviction in our life. It's not that a young man and a, a young woman just suddenly fall in, in, into bed accidentally. They lead themselves there. So we need to stay away from those bad situations. Don't go and have a, a prayer session in, in your car at one in the morning. There's no reason to do that with a girl alone. Keep yourself accountable. Again, in verse 11, let's look at, at Joseph. He says, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So look at this situation. She now, she gets everybody that out of the house. She thinks she's like, all right, now I've got him. He's going to realize like what he's missing. And she lunges at him, grabs him by his garment and again, tempts him with the lie with me. But what does he do? He flees out. He runs. And this is what, it, what we need to do when we come across temptation is run. Don't begin to argue with yourself on what are going to be the consequences or what is it really doing. Just run. Avoid the situation entirely. James chapter 1 verses 12 through 15 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You see, we need to patiently endure testing and temptation. And there are eternal blessings when we do so, when we have victory in these areas. Again, James says, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So this is the formula that I love to, to try to practice. Res submit to God, humble ourselves, resist the devil, and the devil will flee.
just get out of that situation. Look at verse 13 as Joseph is, is doing so. It says, and so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Wow. What a terrible woman we see here. Joseph runs and he runs out so fast that she, since she was holding onto his garment, he runs out naked. He flees. And she now has the garment though and uses it as evidence, which isn't true, against Joseph. She says, look it, he brought this Hebrew, this Israelite in here to mock us, to make us look like we're less, like we're nothing. And he came into me to try to rape me. She cried rape at this point, and it was a complete lie. In this, what we see is Joseph now experiencing persecution. Understand this, Christian, that we will be persecuted, that people will lie about what we're doing. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it says that what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and that light is dark, that bitter is sweet and that sweet is bitter. You see, people will look at us and say, all these Christians, they're hateful people. They're hateful against religions. They're hateful against other people who, have, who are homosexual and they're hateful against all types of different things that the Bible doesn't teach. The Bible teaches us to love, to warn people in truth, to point people back to God, our Heavenly Father. And there's days that are coming ahead of us when this is going to increase. The Bible teaches it. We can't escape this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, it says, In the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Paul writes this to 
Timothy, his disciple, his son in the faith, to warn them that at the times that he was going to be experiencing in the last days would be difficult. We are seeing in our nation good being called evil and evil being called good. Christian, expect this in our life. Understand that God will use this. And perhaps if this nation would get on its knees and pray and ask God for repentance, for forgiveness of sins, perhaps God will relent in the time. But I know this. We have hope for eternity. Yes, though it seems at times that the world is on fire, God is taking us to a place where there's no more sickness. There's no more debts and and pain. There's no more sorrow, no more tears. The Bible teaches us that in heaven, God will actually wipe our tears away. And we look forward to this. That's why we must endure temptation as a good soldier and trials and persecution. Much like Joseph was going to have to. Look at verse 16. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with the words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us, came in to mock me. So it happen, happened, as I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled outside. You see, she's now mixing truth with a lie. And those are the worst types of lies when there's truth mixed with it. Sometimes it's hard to determine that right away. Some of the worst cults that are out there are the ones that have a lot of truth in it, but there's just that little bit of lie that gets us into a place where we're in separation of our relationship with God. We need to ask God for wisdom, discernment, that we can know truth. You see, Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we need that truth, we need that light in our life to guide us, we go to God. We understand that the Bible teaches us that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The Bible teaches us, how can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to the word to the word of God. We need to listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us through the word. In verse 19, so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's masters took him and put him into the prison 
a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. The road's going to be hard. It was hard for Joseph. But there are trials that we go through out of obedience to the Lord. And there are trials that we go through out of disobedience to the Lord. And you want to know the difference? Is that one way, you're at peace with God. And in the other way, you're separated from him. And you're experiencing a trial that God wouldn't have put you in, but we put ourselves there. Now, if you're in that place, it's without God, it's hard. So I don't know how people get through this life without God. That's why we have suicide rates going up. That's why we have depression and anxiety and all these issues in our world. But with God, there is peace, there is hope, there is the fruits of the Spirit. So may we not find ourselves in trials of disobedience. And if you find yourself in a trial of obedience, know that the Lord is with you. Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. The second time we have it in this chapter. See, God is with Joseph even in the prison. Perhaps you're wondering, God, why did you allow me to be put in this place? Why did you allow me to be suffering this long? But God is with you. Again in verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Wow. Again, in verse 23, at the end there, we have that phrase, because the Lord was with him. And we're seeing that theme happen again in Joseph's life where because God is with him, those who were in authority over him began to trust Joseph. They saw Joseph is an honest man. He's a hard worker. He's someone I could trust to put him as a leader over the rest of these prisoners. And it seems as though where Joseph is placed, though it's in a terrible situation, that God is allowing him to be successful. You see, Joseph was able to endure this trial of temptation first and foremost in this chapter. And because of this, he was able to have that peace with God. There's two types of peace in a Christian's life. There's peace with God, and then there's the peace of God. Now, you ask, what's the difference? You see, sometimes we find ourselves 
in a place where we have the peace with God, meaning that our relationship with him is good, that we are saved, we have peace with God. But we need to ask that we would have the peace of God, meaning that sometimes when we come in trials, we get our joy taken away from us. This, we're, we're robbed of, of joy and of we're, we're, we're filled with worry and anxiety. So we need to ask not only for peace with God, but we need to have the peace of God. And Joseph had this as he endured temptation. Paul would write to his young church, the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5. Why don't we turn there as we end this study for tonight? Galatia, another one of Paul's church plants that he, he began that he would teach them of the grace of God. He would teach them of God's mercy. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 23, Paul warned his spiritual sons and daughters. He says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not Inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You see, our spirit and our flesh, they're at war with one another. The sinful desires are trying to win over our body and our mind. But the Holy Spirit living in us has awakened our own spirit 
and that spirit is desiring to do the things of the Lord. And there's a war going on in our minds and our hearts. Even Paul wrote about it in Romans. He said, the things that I don't want to do, those evil things, those are the things that I end up doing. And the things that I want to do, those good things for God, I don't do those things. And he found himself in this battle. And he said, who will save me from this wretched body of death? And he said, thank God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is the truth that we are sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God is not slack concerning his promise, but he's patient and he's long-suffering, desiring that all would come to repentance of Jesus Christ. We learn this in First Peter. So if you're out there tonight and you find yourself tempted to have your eyes off of Jesus, even if that temptation is, is fear or worry or anxiety, may we be overcomers with Christ in our life by allowing the things of his spirit to be overwhelming in our life. My father often told me that our spiritual walk was like a cup. And without God, our cup, our, our life, it's full of, of dirt and mud and filthiness. But when you pour God, the Holy Spirit, into that cup, eventually the, the dirt begins to fall out and fall out. And the cup begins to become clean. And the more of the Holy Spirit you pour in, the more of the dirt comes out. And that's where we need to be in our life. Surrounding ourselves with his word, in our word, daily, daily. Going through the entire Bible so we could get the whole counsel of God. In fellowship with other believers. Going to church. Praying and asking God that he would deliver us from temptation so that he can use us mightily for his kingdom. Amen. As we continue in our book of Genesis, we're seeing God is with us. May you continue this week to go forward in God's grace, to know that he loves you, he's with you. As you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. I pray, Father, if there's anyone out there who's been struggling with temptation, even if it's the temptation to get their mind off of you and to look at the things of this world, if that's you this evening, this night, I want to say a prayer you could join with me in this. That God would deliver us from temptation. Let's begin. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. That I am tempted, Lord, and that I fail. 
Forgive me of my sins. Wash me by your son's blood. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, I do pray for those also listening, those Christian believers. Continue to fill us with your spirit that we may go forward in the call that you have for us in this battle. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. One more song. But I want to let you guys know that if any of you want to reach out and questions, you need somebody to pray with you, feel free. Just reach out. Give uh, us a, a message on Facebook, on YouTube, or even give me a phone call. We would love to pray with you. So be filled with the Spirit this week. Sunday morning at 1130.